My guest for this episode is Professor Maggie Snowling, currently President of the St John's College Oxford and formerly Chair in the Department of Psychology at the University of York. She is one of the world's leading researchers into dyslexia and that is where we focused our discussion for this podcast. So thank you for joining me today, Professor Snowling. So today we're going to talk about uh, dyslexia uh, and several of the issues around it. But before we get into that, I wanted to um, sort of define what it is when we're talking about dyslexia. There seems to be so many different definitions or assumptions out there about what it is. How, what, what do you think of when you, see, when you talk about dyslexia? Well, dyslexia is a specific difficulty in learning to read and write, specifically in learning to read fluently. Um, and um, I think you're right that the term is has broadened out as it's been used over time. But um, essentially, it's a problem with learning to read and to spell. Mm. And is that difficult to uh, distinguish from a child that may struggle for other reasons? How how do you, for example, separate a dyslexia diagnosis from a um, child who just hasn't had enough experience of reading? Or is that because they're not responding to interventions? Or how does it sort of get discovered? Well, one of the issues for dyslexia is it is really defining children who are at the bottom of a distribution of reading skills. The reason that they're there could be many sorts of reasons. One might be that they haven't been at school. One might be that they have English as uh, an additional language. Uh, One might be that they have dyslexia. And what's difficult is differentiating between those um, sorts of causes. And the reason um, that we don't do that anymore is that it's simply um, not possible to, there's no evidence that children who are in that range um, differ in their response to intervention. So whether you're at the bottom of the range because you've got a language problem or because you, you've, you've had limited experience of the school system, um, all of these children Um, qualify for the diagnosis of dyslexia because dyslexia means having difficulty learning to read and spell. Mm. Now once you've made the, um, once you've defined a child as having um, dyslexia, then um, one can look at their response to intervention. Um, It's a rather unusual way to think about it because people used to think that dyslexia was a clear-cut syndrome with signs and symptoms like a medical disease but it's really much more like something like uh, blood pressure oh, and blood pressure can range from uh, very low to very high there's no cutoff which we'd say this person um, has um, a significant um, problem but if you don't medicate at a certain level then that person will go on and have um, a stroke so we do have to make categories even though we're talking about a dimension here Does that mean that there's some truth in the notion from some teachers that you can educate a child to become not dyslexic in the sense that some of those children that would have been classed as dyslexic are actually struggling for the other reasons you've mentioned, the interventions put in place and they no longer need the intervention? Well, yes. So um, this is where I, I have to sort of step back a bit and say that one of the things that you need to do after you've defined someone as dyslexic, and I think you should use the term possibly dyslexic, mm-hmm. is that you need to monitor their progress quite closely in the next couple of years. Now, if the child catches up, I think you could say it's not dyslexic because the dyslexic problem seems to be fairly um, uh, 
constitutional um, and uh, really does um, hamper learning at the appropriate rate. Mm. And so that's quite a, I mean, like you, you start to understand why there's there's so much, uh, many misconceptions and confusions around dyslexia. Mm. In your experience, mm. I mean, have we got this settled in the academic world? Have we got it settled in the school's world? Is there still too much noise or is the noise, the confusion as such, a natural byproduct of it being quite a difficult condition to, to determine? Well, I think I think there are quite a lot of problems, and one of the problems is that children are not getting um, intervention early enough. Mm. I think in in a school system where um, actually in our school system in England we have a perfect uh, system for um, assessing response to intervention, and it's called the phonics screening check. Mm. And any child who's doing poorly at that point should then be receiving intervention and if through intervention they are not responding very well then one has to say it's a possibility that uh, the child um, is dyslexic. Um, but there are a lot of complicating factors and that's where the complexity comes in because dyslexia is what we call a neurodevelopmental disorder so it, it's a heritable disorder, it's probably genetic um, it has an early onset, though of course um, that indicates it's probably not just to do with written language, but it has an early onset and it also persists across a lifetime. Mm. Now the point with neurodevelopmental disorders is that they're highly associated one with another. So if you are dyslexic, you may also have, for instance, developmental language disorder or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Okay. And these are complicating factors. So if you take um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, for instance, one of the defining features of that is that these children have difficulties in organization, um, in working memory, um, and in planning. Now, many people think that's a symptom of dyslexia, but it's not. It's just that many kids with dyslexia have symptoms of ADHD as well. So... Um, there, there are quite a lot of complicated reasons, which is why I think people are uncomfortable with the concept of dyslexia because some of these other issues that sometimes get involved are really belong to other problems. Um, so it, 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 it is very, very difficult, especially for teachers. But for teachers, I think they've got the focus has got to be on um, how the child is learning to read, how they're responding to the reading curriculum at school. And um, and then if they're not responding, one of the hypotheses has to be it's a dyslexic condition. In that case, you might expect um, a poorer response to intervention, not necessarily no response, but a poorer response. You might expect um, increasing difficulties with spelling and writing as time proceeds and a difficulty in keeping up at the normal rate. Mm. And is that... Is that um that sort of moment when you, you, you recognise the problem, should that prompt uh, a generic set of early reading interventions again, or like different, trying different early reading interventions? Or when do you become to, or if, 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 they, if you agree with them, to a dyslexia-specific intervention? Um, well, I think that there's a very good framework for thinking about um, the delivery of, of reading and literacy in the curriculum, I mean, which is that you do it well for mainstream kids. Mm. And then you have to um, identify children who are um, learning a bit more slowly and, and some 
kind of group work um, and then um, moving more towards individualized work. But I think the components of successful in intervention are the same regardless of the stage that you're at and they involve um, training in uh, letter knowledge because many of these um, children with uh, dyslexia have problems learning letter sounds. In fact, it's one of the earliest signs, even in the preschool period, that these children have difficulty with their letters if they're introduced to them. They have difficulty with um, phonological awareness, particularly awareness of the phonemes that link to the letters. And then they have um, difficulty with uh, phonics decoding strategies. And the best interventions combine training in letter knowledge and phoneme awareness with reading from books, which is a little bit different from the standard sort of um, phonics um, diet mm. so that they, they as their skills emerge in phonological skills and phonics they need to be practicing them in a range of books which are rich in language because I think they also to some extent uh, that, the, that their use of language can facilitate or bootstrap their learning so I think that that's the sort of program how you would you would stage it the problem is uh, there's a so-called stage four which doesn't exist which is that when you've actually had the intensive work where do you go next mm. and I think at that point one really has to start to say is this just dyslexia or is there something else as well does this child have some kind of language problem do they have some kind of um, you know attention problem what, what or, or what 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 else is there so it's, there's a need always for careful assessment and planning the intervention depending on what you find at any particular time i mean like many uh, other neurodevelopmental disorders the nature of dyslexia does change a bit with time um so you know initially it's a reading problem then it's a problem with um spelling and then it's a problem with um reading fluency so they're very slow and then it can be a problem with writing composition because they're always kind of trailing behind and they're sort of not at the point to receive in the classroom what the rest of the class are getting mm. um, the other thing to really highlight is their problem with arithmetic because many children with dyslexia have arithmetic difficulties um, and these are part of their verbal processing uh, difficulties. And just in the way that they have difficulty learning that the sound of, you know, uh, C is K and the sound of uh, H is H, they have some difficulty learning that, you know, the number one um, and the number two go together to make uh, two in a multiplication table and so on. So um, there are the nature of what you see at any time is likely to change. Again, this is one of the reasons that dyslexia can be considered a difficult concept. It sounds like, as well, that it, it's possible to support children to, to progress through the school system successfully, but the system itself is perhaps hurrying them along faster than they're capable of. So when you get to the end point of school, you, you know, it's almost come too early in a way for them to, yes, to make yes. a difference. Yes, well, it's hard It's hard for schools to cater for the huge variation there is in learning rates, and you could apply that probably to different areas of the, of the curriculum. Mm. But I think it is quite important to plan um, for some kind of, um, not exactly streaming, but differentiating the curriculum within a class so that children are learning at, at a rate that's optimal for them. Um, and, of course, that requires resourcing, and uh, and that's always difficult. 
Um, we've, in our research, used teaching assistants very effectively indeed. And sometimes teaching assistants um, get a bad press, um, but if you train teaching assistants properly and you support them in delivery, they can actually do a very good job for helping children with dyslexia and language difficulties and so on. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's about how you organise the classroom and how the school is organised to the benefit of children with special needs like dyslexia. Is it the case then that, you know, in, if we look at dyslexia in different um, severities of dyslexia, mm -hmm. is that a naturally occurring f uh, thing where the dys dyslexia can be more severe or is there a factor of how well supported has that child been and thus the severity of the dyslexia sort of um, results from that? Yes. Well, I think dyslexia does vary from mild to severe. That's part of it being a dimension or a continuum. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you also have to think about impact on everyday functioning. So, yeah, I do think some children, particularly children where they have dyslexia that's sort of been in the family for you know generations, have a severe form of dyslexia. The impact of that on that child can depend on a host of factors. One, of course, being um, parental support. Um, one being um, school support. One also sometimes being the temperament of the child, because you can actually, you know, um, for some children, um, they can deal with the fact that they are confronting failure every day. Um, and they, they're resilient and perhaps they have something else they're good at, like sport or um, music or singing. And then you have other children who, for whom um, the sense of failure builds up and affects their self-esteem and that um, has an impact then on their progress. In other words, you've got to think about two dimensions here, the severity of the problem and also some of the other variables that might actually affect Every, everyday functioning. So you could have a mild dyslexic, but with a very high impact. Mm. It um, sounds like it's an incredibly, uh, what, what teachers need to remember is that a label of dyslexia is not going to be the, the, the route to a solution to supporting that child, and it has to be quite an individualised um, individualized approach to support. That, that, I guess, gives some credence to those teachers who are saying, you know what, let's, let's pretend dyslexia doesn't exist and just treat the child that's in front of us. But obviously mm -hmm. you still use the term dyslexia, so where do you sort of sit on that, that debate, I guess? Well, um, so I've studied dyslexia for far too long, <laughs> uh, almost 40 years, I think. Um, but one of the things that I've done in recent years is I've been following, um, we've been following a group of um, a cohort of children who are at family risk of dyslexia. So they um, have a parent who is affected. Um, and we compare them with kids from uh, families where there's no history of reading problems. And if you follow those kids from about three and a half as we do, and then you follow them till around about age eight, and you decide who are dyslexic and who are not, and then you look back and you see, well, what characterized the children who go on to be dyslexia in the early years? What you can see very early on, before reading instruction, is that these dif children have difficulties with what we call phonological skills, the speech processing aspects of language. Mm. They have difficulty with phonological memory, so they have problems in um, saying new words. Um, they ha often have some speech difficulties, um, and these can exist without any language problem. 
And those problems can be seen very early on and they translate into problems with learning letters where you have to learn to associate the sound with the letter. They translate into problems with um, phonological awareness where you have to identify the sounds in spoken words and together those two things are enough to impact decoding. So I believe in dyslexia because it, it, it occurs very early on before people start arguing about whether it's an effect of the school system or laziness or um, you know parental uh, um, lack of parental support in school and it, it, you can see it very early on so I, I, I really believe it exists and I think it's very important that we, we don't lose that in the complexity of, of the way in which it's diagnosed and the only valid way of diagnosing it is by looking at behavior on a reading and spelling measure mm. and unfortunately on that those measures children with other um for other reasons can actually end up with the same if you like signature um and then it's about unpicking um what you do for those children on different trajectories if you take the, the example of children with English as an additional language, they might be slow um, at learning to read, but actually they soon pick up and actually they don't have any decoding problems unlike children with dyslexia. But at one point in time, of course, they might be exactly the same because maybe they've only you know, just arrived in the country. So we have to try and exclude other factors um, and we might want to you know, ha ha have hypotheses about what the cause is, but still what we've got to do is intervene and, and monitor. It's interesting you mentioned the um, phonic screening test as a as a, a good way of, of determining how far a child's progressing on, on that. Do you think the the test itself is necessary? Is it a medium to ensure schools are teaching phonics, therefore spotting those problems? Would they do that well, without that Well, that's why test? it was introduced. And yeah. you probably know that I, 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 uh, I, I um, have had some... Uh, I, I, I've had some... I, could, I have been critical of it in some ways. Mm. So first of all, I, I, so I'm a great believer in um, non-word reading as a, as a good, pure measure of decoding. Mm. Uh, concerned that um, by having that as the target, teachers might start um, teaching children to read non-words, which as a little exercise might be okay, but as on a, day, as a daily diet, it completely uh, misses the point that the goal of reading is reading for meaning. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the problems. But more interestingly, we did a study um, when we were in York where we looked at um, child, uh, teachers' ratings of children's progress through um, what was the, um, the uh, phonics instruction program, um, uh, which was, came out of the Rose Report. So th this was um, a phonics sort of checklist, and every half term, the teacher just filled out, just decided at what point on this checklist the child had reached. So whether they could just do their letter sounds or whether they could do combinations of sounds or whether they could now do the sort of long vowels like A, E and I, G, H. And so you could see progress and, and, and it was kind of benchmarked about where you ought to be during key stage one, the different points in time. So teachers were trained to do that and this was a whole authority, um, you know, um, professional development um, program. Um, and then, of course, the phonic screen came along. So I said, well, let's see whether the phonic screen tells us anything that the teacher judgments could not have told us. Mm. And the answer is it can't. Okay. Teacher judgments 
were as good as the phonic screening check. Mm. Now, I admit that that depends upon being in a local authority where there was very good professional training and where every school was doing what they were supposed to be doing. I also understand that the government was worried about making sure that every school was doing that. Mm. So I don't... I mean, I, 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 I have sort of, I'm a bit ambivalent about the, about the screening check. Um, the most important thing about the check is when it's done, there must be action for the children who don't do well. Yeah. Um, and presumably that means not just more of the same, because obviously I've, no. that hasn't worked for some reason up to that yes, point. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Is it... Um, in, t- in terms of that phonolo- phonological awareness, and you said that tracks back to the inability or, or mm. the difficulty in in pronouncing words or get or or getting the right words out as as such, um, is that something that is looked at in nursery and preschool enough? I mean, it strikes me that that's a, a great place to suddenly flag a problem. In your experience, is is the training in place at that stage to to start that support at that stage? Um, well, first of all, it's not just speech. It's really, I think, processing speech. So it, it might just might not manifest itself actually as an articulation problem. Okay. Um, I don't think there's anything in place very early on that would um, indicate that. Um, very early on, what I think is critical is that children's language development is, is monitored um, because... Um, Although um, early language delay isn't a particularly um, significant um, indicator of later language delay, many children who've got early language delays do go on to have dyslexic difficulties. Mm. Um, And generally, if your child's got a language delay, it's quite good to tell um, parents um, and um, early years providers uh, what they might do to um, facilitate um, oral language development. So, um, but at the moment, um, you know that, that that's not really being done, and I think that that's a shame. In that, um, that you can think that um, measure, monitoring language and then emergent literacy probably a bit later on is is a, is a good thing to do, and, and there could be that health professionals could usefully do that during the preschool years. Um, because these dif- difficulties for dyslexic kids are, ava- are are seen very very early, I would say, however, that there's also a group for whom the um, problems occur later, mm-hmm. and these are often kids who have compensated very well because maybe they've had a lot of um, a good sort of home literacy environment. Uh, maybe they're relying a bit on their good vocabulary to read, and their problems often only emerge. Uh, a bit later when the um, amount they have to read um, increases. That's uh, interesting because you get, obviously you get quite a lot of the um, cynicism around dyslexia in secondary schools where they're saying, no, oh, actually they just haven't been taught properly at primary and yeah, the, the yeah. notion is that if the dyslexia hadn't been spotted then, well, well, there must be something else going on. But if you're saying actually children could be relatively good at uh, I don't know, don't know, compensating is the word you used. Mm. They can be quite good mm. at compensating up to that stage and then get to more challenging texts, um, probably a more uh, demanding environment that, that can manifest at that stage. Mm. Well, where you've got to do a lot of reading for homework, it's going to take you twice as long. Mm. It's going to be, become a problem which might not have been a problem before in primary school. But I think the most more major problem for secondary schools is 
is is actually the the, the in a way the casualties who are leaving primary school reading at a six or seven year level and there is too many of them mm. um so i i i and i i also think it's really important to work on these problems as soon as they arise not least because of the impact on uh self-esteem and academic self-concept and when when you start to try to intervene in secondary school you get motivational problems compounded by timetabling difficulties and it's just really really hard to to help if you leave it that late i think that that notion of academic self self-confidence is another in, interesting one in the sense that if you're having difficulty accessing language that that can lead to assumptions about your ability or your potential attainment when actually from what you said i mean you're you may have been handicapped slightly by by your access to language but that doesn't necessarily say anything at all about your your potential abilities no that's right well i mean um self concept is a, is a complex uh, as i'm sure you know complex construct and there are mm. different aspects of it and you could actually have a positive uh, self concept about yourself in maths but a very bad one about yourself in english mm. uh, what we don't want is generalized um low self esteem that's going to affect everything and it's going to affect motivation um so i think always um whenever i whenever i used to see kids for dyslexia um assessment or assessment of their of their learning needs I, what i think it was always very important not just to say what you need to do to move them you know to remediate the problem but also what should you be doing to ensure that you keep in sight their strengths their interests and the, because those doing well in those other areas can support their difficulties in in the reading domain uh, is it um so when you go when you now have adults who are still severely um affected by uh dyslexia are they the most severe cases do you think or are they children who have possibly been let down by the by the education system no, i think a bit of both mm. um but i do think in general as a as a society we need to have a much better way of um you know, different ways of of, of going on uh, towards careers. So we have more vocational training and apprenticeships. I mean, this is becoming a bit of a, a bit of a broken record. But mm. um, I, I think with a child with dyslexia, if you've you know, if that child had really high quality evidence based support um, for about two years and they're not really progressing and they're struggling, I think we really have to start thinking about compensation in a big way. That is, we have to start bringing in um, IT. There's no reason why children can't use um, voice-to-text um, software, um, planning organizers, dictaphones, um, but ultimately also um, choice of GCSE subjects, choice of um, you know educational options after school. At the moment, it's, it is a bit like a sausage machine that caters for the sort of average child who, average to above average child who can kind of, who is going to be able to cope and with literacy being really important. We need to think of other very successful career trajectories that are not dependent upon literacy. Yeah, we just need to have a broader view of what success in school is um, because because well-being is ultimately what we've got to work towards and and for most people unfortunately in our society that means being literate mm. um so how do we foster you know well-being in, in kids who have find literacy pro problematic
Of course, many people with dyslexia call themselves entrepreneurs. <laughs> they say being free from literacy enables them to do these rather different things. And what, what are you working on at the moment? What's your sort of um, aim in your research currently? Um, well, I'm still doing some um, basic research following up this cohort of children um, with a family history of dyslexia, looking at their um, outcomes and what predicts their outcomes. Um, but also our group is um, moving much more to developing educational interventions. Mm -hmm. um, so this is work with Charles Hume um, and um, we've um, spent many years looking at uh, reading interventions um, and now our main agenda is looking at interventions to improve oral language. Um, we've just um, had just uh, well, we're just about to embark. We are embarking currently on the third uh, trial. This is a randomised control trial of our Nuffield Early Language Intervention, um, which is an intervention aimed at children entering reception class who've got poor oral language. We know children who've got poor oral language tend not to respond very well to literacy instruction. Mm -hmm. uh, the oral language program um, is delivered by uh, teaching assistants that we train and it involves three components, training in vocabulary, training in narrative skills and training in listening comprehension. And in two previous trials, a, a research trial and a trial um, run by independent evaluators um, funded by EF, we've demonstrated efficacy of the approach and we're now just rolling it out in 200 schools and we're um, evaluating its impact. Um, hopefully after that we can actually say this is really an effective program for um, oral language skills. Now at the end of the oral language program we do introduce some work on letter sounds and phoneme awareness because obviously a you need to make a bridge into the into literacy, mm. and these are the some of the aspects of literacy which you might say are language related, particularly phonological awareness. I suppose um, our vision is that um, we we can actually work with kids from preschool right through the primary curriculum with slightly different interventions because some of these children who come to school who are ill-prepared either because they've got developmental language disorder or dyslexia um, initially need help with um, language then learning to read but then with reading comprehension and with writing and what we need are a suite of interventions that either you can say these children need a reading comprehension intervention we'll give that in year four or you can say for one of your dyslexic children, okay, now their reading comprehension isn't very good because they've sort of missed out in the classroom. We can give it to them as well. So you'd have like some people going through all of your interventions because yeah. dyslexia is severe and it has a wide impact. And you'd, But you'd also have these interventions available for kids with very specific needs at very specific points in time. So when does that come in report? That's, that's a couple of years, did you say? Um, the uh, the trial that we're doing now, I mean, the trials that we've done so far are already um, published. Um, the trial we're doing now, um, we will finish in July uh, okay. 2018. Um, It'd be good to feature that, the results of that in TES, I think, and see. see that would be good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, hopefully it will work. <laughs> well, thank you. every time before. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you yeah, very much for yeah. taking the time to talk yeah. to me today. I think it's a, a fascinating topic and hopefully, you know, it would, it would have been useful for the teachers listening out there. Okay. It is, I would just want to say, it is a complex topic and I think what the teacher's role is, is to monitor the reading and spelling as it develops, have input there to help and also to monitor the child's um, kind of self concept and check that they're supporting that as well thank you very much okay thank you